Welcome everyone. Let's uh, open up the meeting. Uh, can you help us with roll call? I can. Uh, Trustee Avalada. Here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee She Quinn. Here. Trustee DeVries is not here. And Trustee Peterson. Here. We have a quorum. Wait, do we have any public comment? We do not. Okay. Uh, there's uh, minutes. Can you hear a motion? I move that we accept the minutes. The March meeting. Uh, second. Thank you, Ross. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Good. Moves forward. Let's go to uh, information discussion items and uh, financial report. Good evening. Good evening. Um, so. oh, she can't see that one. Is there a reason? We can't see it on that one. Is that reason this one isn't? Do you have a clicker? I have a clicker. Oh, yeah. If you move it, will it? Because they can see that one. This one works. Can you see that? Yes, you can see that. We can go on with this one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll back up. That's coming on. It was just all. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, move ahead then. Yeah. Okay. Someone turned it off after the basketball game last night. Was it not a good game? Yeah, exactly. We're going to be watching basketball. So, we're going to review the March financials, the, the um, FY19 forecast, and then the 12-month um, rolling forecast. So um, I would say that you know we are ten months or this this presentation we're actually nine months into our fiscal year, and so we're starting to see sort of a stabilization of the variances and things that have been under for the year continue to be under things that are over or kind of stabilizing, but there isn't a lot of big swings as we would expect nine months into the year. So when we look at the, um, the trends on the volume, we see that same thing over in line with the prior months. Um, the acute patient days um, have been running above budget by about 8.7 for the month and 6% year to date. Acute discharges, um, this is probably the one thing that did change this month. Um, the acute discharges were 114 below budget which has increased our average um, length of stay to 6.6, .6, and the budget is, um, I think, right around 6, right? Oh, 5, sorry, 5. So we're running a little, little higher on our length of stay than we anticipated. I did pull the stats for um, the month that just ended, and our discharges are um, closer to the budget, but still running a little below. And so the length of stay, I would anticipate, is going to be a little long. Um, and April. Can so, you say a little bit about the impact on the budget condition uh, when you have an under or overage um, discharge? Well, when you have a longer length of stay, um, it could be related to acuity, but in this organization, um, it appears to be more related to our throughput issues, so then you have that possibility of having more days that are um, denied for medical necessity and you know, payer issues of that Got nature as so we try to find, you know, places to transition. Do we track that number? 
um, so, we're, so we're working on on that information. I think we're bringing it, is it to the next board meeting or the next QIP meeting? QPNC, yes. I was close. Yes, QPSC. <laughs> so there will be a very detailed report provided at the QPSC that will speak to uh, all the work that's happening around our throughput and, and care management as a whole. Okay. And then, um, and, you know, and then so we'll be saying this earlier, uh, later, but um, we're making progress on the request for deeper dive into contractuals. Uh, right. As we agree, we would uh, probably, in light of the budget stuff, uh, have limited bandwidth to be, be able to bring it all forward to you, but we're going to speak to our plan and path to do that so that then there will be some correlation between this data as one of the subsets for what drives contractuals. Okay. Thank you for connecting yeah. those okay. dots. Um, so um, post-acute um, days, we're at budget uh, slightly over um, year-to-date, and the clinic and ER visits continue to be below budget for the month year-to-date, but they are running slightly, um, well, not the ER visit, but the clinic visits are running slightly higher than they were prior fiscal year. And the physician um, activity has been above our current month, prior year, and the current fiscal year about their budget. So looking at, uh, this, this, I have to change my screen now. I should let you drive. Oh, that works really well. Yeah. Tell me when you're on. Yeah, I'm there. You're on this one. So change that one, but I wondered why my screen didn't change. Okay. <laughs> All right, so the net operating, this one is, um, I'm not going too far. Oh, yeah. See, I got click happy. So we're going to go back to the back to that operating. That second one. Okay. I'm dangerous with a click. <laughs> I think I'll, I've validated that now. So um, the net operating um, revenue, and I'm kind of changing the order that um, I have it on the side. I tend to think of, you know, that's the bottom line, and then I like to work up. So in my notes, I, I did it that way, so sorry for that confusion. So the net operating revenue was 2% under the budget for the month, um, fairly close, um, and, a, and surprisingly about 2% under year-to-date. And then the operating expense um, is continuing to be under budget, um, just a million dollars this month, but I think as people have done a lot of due diligence on looking at the expenses for the budget process, um, my anticipation is that most of those invoices that they may have held have been submitted to AP and now we're seeing the bulk of the old expenses passing through. So I expect um, expenses to stay under budget the rest of the year. The um, net operating income is a million um, under the budget also, and year-to-date is slightly above the budget. So moving to the next slide which is the revenue highlights. Um, so our patient revenues um, have been under budget, which is you know, the trend for the year. And the um, revenues also under, and that's kind of lining up with our volumes that we're under. And it was offset by inpatient and professional revenue being over budget, and that you know, correlates with the volumes that we just discussed, where they were under. Year-to-date gross charges are about 12.5 over the prior year. Um, net patient service revenue um, under budget as anticipated, and the shortfall is consistent with the low collection percentage that we discovered earlier in the year. 
and we estimated the annual shortfall to be about 27 to 29 million, and we're kind of at the lower range of that now, with the variance being at 27 million. Um, so we may um, exceed the 29, but hopefully it kind of all comes together to be that higher end. Let's see you. And then supplemental revenue, um, they just are fairly um, uninteresting this month. They are very close to the budget. We didn't book any um, prior year adjustments. We are now starting the reimbursement director, um, Shalom Lynn, and I are starting a review in, in anticipation of June 30th, where we will go back and do a deeper dive on all the programs and true them out, make sure our reserves look appropriate. So for example, the um, Medi-Cal Managed Care G GME program that we've been talking about mm -hmm. that doesn't yet have um, the approval, well, we, in the current fiscal year, have accrued $5 million. And so we will be looking at that and discussing with um, DeVecchio and Luis about whether we should back off that $5 million accrual because we would have some difficulty supporting that in the audit without some legislation being passed. So we tend to look at, you know, what what do we think we could would bring in as possible pickups that we think are now assured? What do we think we have some doubt about? And right. we do our best to kind of marry them up. But we do that in this last quarter primarily. And this this will be recollection to this is the second year where we've uh, been accruing for the program because this program is expected to be retro to January of 17, I think is the, uh, uh, the beginning point. Um, and so we were accruing at the higher rate when we thought it was the program was going to be longer. And at every point where we've gotten any sort of um, um, so midpoint update from CAPH about how the discussions between the state and CMS is going, we've adjusted accordingly. And so only one time, uh, after it was leaving Sacramento and going to Baltimore was when we got clarity that it's likely to be a much smaller program. And so we got that roughly around January. And from that point forward, what we did was started to back out from this year uh, um, uh, amounts that we had accrued that were going to lower the amount that we expected to get since the time that we started going through. So it's a true amount for the whole period. Yeah, so we've been doing that all along. Uh, but to Anne's point, uh, we were then part of that effort is to sort of go back to CAPH and say, have we gotten any news? Is there any reason why we should be even more conservative about this program than we are now? Because at the end of the day, something's going to happen, and we hope that what we forecast is as close to that as possible, and it, it needs to be something that withstands uh, external audit scrutiny for them. You know, reasonable uh, forecast or projection of what we'll get from the program. And, and right now we are anticipating like about 10 million less than what we right. 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 And so we, yeah, we did do an adjustment in um, December or January. Mm. So for the current year, we've got about 5 million accrued. So we may leave what we accrued at the end of fiscal year. Um, 18 in place and say that we believe that's a fairly conservative estimate, but not accruing more revenue in the current year mm -hmm. and and see until we, have, until we get more clarity. Right. And we did, um, this this particular topic came up on the um, conference call with all the other um, public hospitals, and most of our peers are not accruing anything for this program. So, um, that's interesting. 
Well, I think it's a call. Yeah. You know, it's a CFO, you know, board calls to which way, how conservative you want to be. And there are some very conservative people, and there are other people that, you know, are these are public hospitals. These are all the ones that are public hospitals. Other DPHs. This is uh, so they have a call monthly. I think it is right. 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 So these are those I heard. So I don't know if they leave. Can we run the last this call this week yeah. on Tuesday? I don't, it's still a call, so I don't participate on them. Uh, but but usually I get updates from either Anne or Nancy about them. So it's like we just learned it this week how other people are approaching it. So we might want to think about that actually uh, now that we have that information. But that would be material yeah, to us in this year. I wonder if those those are systems probably directly controlled by the counties. Um, yeah, because so uh, we're, we're one of two. Yeah, we're one of two that aren't. Able to, all the rest of them are or it's UCs. Uh, exactly. So our our condition is that we don't have reserves. Correct. We have accruals um, mm -hmm. right. to be conservative, but we don't have any reserves to back us up. No, that's correct. If you're in a county system, you very well you may have, have reserves, yeah. and that would change the way you react. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's a balance, and um, so then that you know we'll have a conversation as we look at the entire reimbursement supplemental picture. Yeah. Um, Trustee Pearson, you asked a question, uh, but I appreciate it. Uh, the last time we were together, that I'm doing further investigation on around. Um, uh, the sort of IGT uh, uh, non-federal share matches, um, and I did confirm in one county, uh, one other Bay Area county, that in fact the, uh, the the match that the county puts up for the department uh, to be able to draw down does stay within the department over the year, so they count it as uh, income. Uh, if there's a fund balance at the end of the year then it gets put back into the general fund. So, so they, they you know, uh, consume it back into the, the cycle for the county and they do that on an annual basis. But for the, for the year in question, when they put up the land for the share to draw it down, that money does count as income for, for that particular department. It would stay with the system? It's, yeah, so or it's in that part of the overall county budget, so it's right. with the department, yes. And I haven't confirmed, I'm still checking on, I have, two, possibly three others I want to check on, so I'll, I'll let you know kind of if there's variation in that type of practice, but, just, but we're looking into it. Yeah. yeah, this is the thing that we can't explain, uh, or try to explain <laughs> yesterday afternoon <laughs> to somebody, somebody important and special. Sure. Um, and Lewis and I both look kind of like schoolboys, so maybe we can break this down a little bit more. I think it's a significant structural issue yeah. that we wanted to kind of you need to our structure. Yeah. Yes. Can, can you just try it? Yeah. We'll try it. Pretend I'm a second grader. We'll try it. <laughs> okay. So uh, we here just had this conversation with LT Sealing the those tangerines. Yeah, except tangerine was giving me a hard time. So let's say a service costs you a hundred dollars to deliver. And the reimbursement you're going to get uh, uh, for it is uh, on a net patient basis is fifty dollars. All right, so there's fifty dollars for the service. Now you have a supplemental program that says I'll allow you to get up to forty more dollars of that cost, so you can get most of your costs, maybe not all of them, but you and most of it covered. The way in which I do it in the state of California through Medicare, Medicare is a 50-50 match. So 
you, the state, has to put up 20 of the dollars, and then I, the federal government, will put up another 20, and then we put those together and we'll give it back to the provider to give them the 40. Now we've covered $90 of their $100 cost. In the state of California, the state doesn't put up a non-federal share. They give it to the counties and say, we'll allow you to participate in the program, but you got to bring the money forward. So the county puts up the non-federal share. The state then takes it in and says, here, federal government, here's our money. They give it back. They give their match back. Now you got this $40 and it goes over to the county. In the county's parliament, you only got $20 more dollars because you put up 20. Right. You got 20 back. And this is, we had to put up the 20 to get the 20. In other states, the state would put up the 20, the federal would put up the 20, you get all the 40. In this state, you put up the 20, you get it back, right? So now we got, the county got basically $20 back. But they got our 40 of the dollars back, the 20 that they put up and the 20 that came back. In our case, the county says, great, we take the 20 that the federal government gave you and we'll take our 20 back. And one of the other counties that I checked with, they say, nope, that entire 40 now covers the fact that you had $100 in expenses, you lost $10 already, so you get all 90, unless through some other combination of local funds and other stuff, you end up over, meaning that you have more money than what it costs you to spend that year, then we, we, we take it all back, or we take back what's left. Well, first of all, I'd say you did a good job. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm working on this. The guideline helped. <laughs> system there. I'm going to have 40 more dollars to, I'm going to have 20 more dollars, 20, 20 more dollars to play with. Um, I think uh, I Yes. Yeah. But you're get 70. Correct. That's a rather. Now multiply that by six fold because I said a hundred dollars and we're talking about a billion dollars. Well, I mean, my next yeah. question is what is the bottom line consequence of not having access to that so what's the total amount of that county share that we're not getting in our last year's so that we don't get to keep? So the answer to that would be how we have to look at all these supplemental programs that are, um, that are funded via IGTs uh, and look at what that amount was. Uh, that we got back and then turned back over. So it's a it's a mathematical thing, uh, but we could we could give you that. Over hundred thousand. Uh, uh, well, I'm saying the, the GPP is for about twenty. What did you just say? Hundred thousand. So yeah, hundred thousand. She looks at yeah. she looks at the income statement basis. So the three, three zeros. Yeah. Were, so you know the GPPs are about twenty for each quarter. Yeah, correct. And like the um, the time that we did was another twelve. Yeah. And we've done two of those. So. So let's just say the numbers are. So, yeah. so, so look, I'm sorry. Say that again. Uh, someone <laughs> uh, uh, hundred million. Dollars. It could be in the budget. You wouldn't be budget. stressing out about a budget if you were in a different county. Uh, or under a different construct, uh, except obviously then now the county has to figure out where, where, where that where that. In some way, yeah. But but uh, remember, I just gave you an end of one, so I just want to be very transparent about that. I am going to check with at least 
two others possible for you uh, that I think will be representative, and then I'll share with you if there's any variation in that practice uh, that was suggested. I think, is it also possible for staff to quantify this more? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. By five. By, by five today? Yeah. Sorry, kidding. Just joking. So, 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 and that patient services, yeah. uh, the first 50 that you got, uh, and then the other uh, 40, or the 20. Well, that's the question I have, is the 20. Yeah, we only count the part we keep. We don't count the part we get. So when you accrue the revenues, you don't accrue the, the, uh, the non-state part of the number of yeah, We don't accrue the, the, the county uh, maps that we get from the county to put Because I, I thought, okay, that it was more on the cash flow side. In other words, that you show the $90, but then on the cash flow side, instead of getting the $90 back from wherever, you were going to be shorted uh, $20, and therefore it's on a cash flow. No, we never show it. No, we don't. Then we would have to show that the, the match as an expenditure. Well, if, mm -hmm. I, if I understand right, the no. process actually doesn't involve us receiving that, ever receiving that money. Well, so you're clear, most of our dollars all go directly into the consolidated treasury. So, we, um, um, so, so when, when they come out of there for this purpose, they go up, they come back, and then it's all kind of a, uh, it's a paper transaction where we tell them, release this amount for this purpose, because we've been told that we're eligible to get this money, they release it. Right. It comes back and we say, now keep this amount, or take this amount out of, um, the portion of the consolidated treasury that you see is ours because it's it's giving you your money back. Depending on which program it is, so we have two different um, Medicare managed health or management. Actually, I would say this applies at the state levels. Um, those twenty dollars that there's, there's, there's another complication. They charge an administrative fee, so it doesn't even all come exactly back. It's, it's only a small amount, but they take some out, and then you still get the, the remainder of that back. So, but when it comes back, just going back to the income statement, we only count the part that we keep. So just cut out, are we getting the administration fee or is it? No, the state, no. The state is administering the program. So the state says, thank you for the $20, we'll put it up, they'll give you the other $20, now it's $40, we'll send you back $36. Yeah, but I'm trying to figure out so where do we need it. We need it. Oh, you're saying do we do when we do that? Do we do we don't we don't we don't you know split the admin Ah, <laughs> you just picked up something else, yeah. And then the IGTs are actually funded outside of our line of credit. Which is separate from that. Which is totally separate. Sorry, IGTs. Oh, you're not government transfer. Those dollars that we put out for funding. Yeah. So, so, no, so the the forty dollar twenty dollar that we don't get mm -hmm. is handled through, on these uh, summaries here, is handled through the contractual adjustment. No. 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 It doesn't hit this at all. We don't, we don't, all you see is the delta. You see the net, I should say. Okay. What about the 20 we do get? It's in there. That's right. When I say the net, I mean what, what we keep. The 50 and the 20. Yes, you see the 50 and the 20. Apparently the 20 is more like 19. Yes, it could be like 19. Yes. On some programs. On some programs, not all of them. 
Got it. But there is some administrative fee out of this. I, I'm looking at every penny. We should. <laughs> we caught something I didn't get. So let me look at just ask. Now I'm getting a little confused myself. So if the t your total cost for all your programs was $100 million, okay, let's just say, and you generate, and using your examples, you generated, uh, you build, uh, what, uh, do, 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 do uh, $40 million to this state for Medi-Cal, for, for supplements, and you only got $20 million back, right, because the, or maybe you got less than 20 because you're saying you also have the administ Medi-Cal administrative fee, right? You know what, I want to back up and reconsider yeah. the question you asked because I think yeah. there, is, uh, there is a contractual element to, to uh, um, uh, what we just talked about. So say for example, now I'm, I'm, I'm a Medi-Cal managed care and I had a clinic visit and it cost a hundred bucks. And I uh, am a member of the Alliance. When we build the plan, we're going to represent what the cost of the care was. That cost gets butted up against the uh, contracted payment rate, right? And then that amount, so let's say it's $100, and the plan said, yeah, but we paid $50 for that service. Then that other 50 does get reflected in our contractual association. Yes. 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 So yes. I think I want to go back. I think you're right. Yeah. Yes. So it would show up in our contractuals, and then and then then they become a basis on which then we could apply if it's a cost that's eligible for certain supplemental programs to reflect the fact that our payment rates don't cover the cost of our care. Got it. Got it. Okay, it, it sounds like, thank you. We started off simple, you kept asking questions. Yeah, I know, we, we, we got to a point where it's not my fault. It's understandable as it was. It would be a beautiful explanation initially. But I, I think this is a good start, and I, 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 um, I would recommend that we take this conversation to the full board. Yes. Uh, this is, uh, I've had an aha moment. Mm -hmm. I thought I understood it. When you said it, it could be as much as 100 million, and then I looked at our deficit in my mind mm -hmm. and did the delta and we'd be positive. We'd actually be able to spend some things on uh, projects we can't do. Mm -hmm. We could offer to spend it with it. As being opposed to, yeah, right. So I, I think we need to make sure our data is right on this yeah. uh, mm -hmm. and, and figure out. And as uh, Trustee DeVries, our president, said, uh, you know, that the problem is that the county's already made its commitments. Sure. And this is uh, baked in. Sure. But um, we need to tell this story. Exactly. I agree. So we will continue to, to do the, your, your questions are illuminating, and actually uh, I appreciate them. So we'll continue to uh, dive deeper on this and, and try to provide a clear example that we can bring back to you and obviously to our partners in the county as well. I also want to um, encourage staff to Explore ways to communicate this sort of information to key stakeholders. Sure. Um, you know, there's we have our staff, for example, working hard every day to try to get something done mm -hmm. uh, that benefits the community and the people in front of them, and they're in a system that is not very financially healthy right now. Mm -hmm. This should matter to them, mm -hmm. and we are really need to be collaborative partners mm -hmm. uh, in, in changing the way we, 
work in this county uh, to provide care. So, so, I, so if I can interrupt you. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm feeling like if we had the detail in, in summary of the contractual allowances mm -hmm. and showed how much is a contractual allowance, the difference between charges and rates, okay, mm -hmm. and uh, for Medi-Cal and Medicare, and then we had a line that showed the, the non-federal share as a dollar amount, that would actually disclose it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the that's that's how the work that we're talking about collides, um, but comes together. I would say. Um, so we were looking at a separate thing to kind of pick out all the different buckets of what causes contractuals, because some contractuals, again, are, aren't necessarily cost of themselves. A lot of these programs are specific in what type of cost it can be. If it's a QHC related loss, you can't count that, or if it's worse, you can't count that. So we need to sort of break it out for you. And some of our contractuals are driven by the rates that we have, but some of them are driven by things like uh, denied days or admin days or other sorts of things. And even those, the report that QPSC would be hearing is like sometimes admin days or denied days are, are driven by placement challenges. Sometimes they're driven by delay in care. So, you know, we got authorization to treat some for three days, but they needed some diagnostic study that we scheduled for one day, but traumas happened or whatever, got pushed off, then that day might get denied because you didn't do what was the justification for that acute state. There, there's no way to distinguish between those two and aggregate, I guess. Uh, there is, but I think, you know, it's going to, it's it's always, I think it's going to only let it get down to a certain level before you're just trying to uh, over, over uh, um, stress what we can do on an analytical basis, but, but enough that we can have much deeper understanding of this and, and, and take some really, I think, uh, coaching high-level takeaways that will be instructive to this board and our stakeholders. I know, I know for instance, in, in the psychiatric arena, usually your administrative days really tie right into your placement problems. Yeah, you know, right. yeah but I actually learned something new on Tuesday, uh, and I've been doing this for a while, but in the psych space, uh, if you, so one of the challenges oftentimes with our patient population is if their um, uh, clinical situation, behavioral or otherwise, requires a one-to-one -one sitter, uh, and then they need a post-acute placement after that, uh, a post-acute uh, uh, um, Providers don't often have the capacity to provide a one-to-one -one, uh, level of care if they need it. In the behavioral space, what I learned or what I'm told is that if a behavioral patient has a sitter, they have to go seven days without a sitter before you can put them in another another level of care because they can't provide a sitter. And if, say, in day three, they end up regressing or relapsing in such a way that we now need to put them back in a sitter, mm -hmm. it starts to sense. So, so you can end up with denied days because you're actually doing the right thing to get the patient back to a point to uh, be able to move to another level of care, but you lose them because of this other challenge. So it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, there's much more we need some more detailed information. Well, this is probably keep going. We probably should keep going. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Expenses. So um, the operating expenses were a million under the budget for the month, um, primarily from a positive variance in um, purchase services. And so um, I'm going to make a few comments about salary and wages and then move on down to the purchase service line. Um, so the FTEs um, we've seen all year have been under budget um, somewhere between 200 or so. So this month we're at 175 and we're starting to see that that gap between the actual and the budget is closing as we are filling the vacant positions in our organization. 
So, um, and the work hours for patient days, which is really probably a better indicator of your productivity, um, it's continuing to be under budget for um, across all the indicators, the month, year to date, and prior year to date, um, which is a very positive thing um, for, for this organization. So to total labor um, expense, excluding budget, uh, excluding benefits, were um, way up the budget. Well, that makes no sense. Give it, oh no, we haven't got FTEs, sorry. Um, but with less FTEs and budgeted, you would kind of intuitively say that I should have a larger positive variance. But we had a fairly large um, increase in our patient days, so we are seeing the use of um, more overtime to help cover that um, activity. And then with um, purchase services, which is the, um, I think it was about a million there. And it was close, 1.1. Mm -hmm. um, so when, I, when we dug into that, um, almost across the board, all of the departments are running, are using less purchase services. There was not like one department that you would look at and go, oh, it's the sheriff is under. Everybody just seems to be really managing and being very thoughtful about consultants they bring in or other purchase services they're using. The largest variance was in, um, I'm sorry, that sounded like my son. <laughs> the largest variance was um, in um, patient financial services. We had a consultant um, whose primary job is working on EPIC. And so we made a decision to capitalize all this expense going back to July. And that was about $400,000. There was a couple other consultants, but there was a group there. So we've capitalized that, which reduces our operating expense. So we won't see that capitalization um, reoccur next month. So, um, so as I, you know, management, I'm sorry, so the continued focus on um, expense management is, you know, continuing this year and we're getting a lot of, um, I think, positive work through the budget process also, which is benefiting us in this current year and then we'll translate into next year. I'm ready now. All right, so here's the, um, the two graphs. Um, the first one, um, the net. And those of AR days, you'll see that they have increased about another two days um, over the prior month. And, and last month, I also told you they had increased over the month there. And so in order to be in the best position for our software um, go live, um, we're working on resolving these issues like the EBU and the Clue and um, credit balances, or credit balances. So they're spending a lot of time working on things that this need to be resolved or prevent claims from going out. We also, starting in June, will be outsourcing our claims at the 60-day window in order to help facilitate being prepared for our Epic Go Live. And in doing that, that's you know, more hands on deck. We're hoping that you know, improves our cash flow for this period of time ramping into Epic and will allow the staff, when we actually go live, to focus on Epic and not kind of have a foot in each camp, which will decrease our productivity. Um, AP, um, days in AP increased um, slightly to 35, but are significantly down from um, 42.8 at the end of the fiscal year. We may see this number kind of um, kind of bounce in the 35, maybe get a little higher as we move toward the end of the year. Um, we take a hard look at, are we going to hit that NNV? And one of the ways that I'd like to ensure that we have a little cushion 
is we slow down our AP payments um, just a little bit so that if we have a, a deposit not show up that we're expecting, I've got a little bit of cushioning. And then with the um, NMB, which is the graph on the bottom, you'll see that we are expecting to be compliant um, at 6.30, um, providing, you know, we've got some large deposits coming in, but I'm not getting any feedback that we won't receive those large deposits. So here is the um, schedule of the reserves, um, very similar to last month, and we already, um, I think we discussed last month the need um, to, the state has to settle all the old waivers um, by the end of 2020. Um, we don't have any more information to share on that than what we did um, at the board retreat. And um, other than that, I don't have anything to say about that unless you all have a question on the schedule. Any further questions? Thank you. So, so I, I do have a question. So, oh, go back. Uh, depending on when we have to pay the 94 million back, yes, uh, will we have to go over? We'll have to go over a credit line at that point. Then, correct. Right? Correct. So uh, yes. Above the one point uh, the I'm glad we the target is yeah. June 30th, which is yeah. 125, yeah. Really. Uh, but, but given the number, we'd be well about that. And we've, we've communicated that to the council. Yes, we've given about two months ago. But we have quite a few years that we have not, they have not finished their final audit work, so we're thinking they may actually you know, be probably further down that curve. Oh, 12 to maybe 18 months out the yet. The 94 million is an aggregate. It's an aggregate of yeah, 2000, yeah, 2008 through 15. So we have some years that we expect to get a payable, get money back, and then we have some years that we have big payables going the other way. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Um, is that the kind of thing? Are you good? So, so this is just a task collection just showing you, you know, the, the performance against the new methodology. That's good. Uh, still, That's still, good. still in target. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the forecast is squeezing through the budget stuff, but still, you want to say Yeah, so the forecast, um, it's, it says the same thing that we expect to hit um, our EBITDA target, which is kind of the key indicator that we're tracking, and that looks positive. I feel positive that we're going to make it. And then on the rolling um, forecast, you'll see that the EBITDA is down to zero, and that's that functionality of we're having, you know, the better months roll off, and we're rolling on months that um, have a negative a loss. And so that number is just progressively getting sadder. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Grim. Is it zero? Is zero last month? Is it zero? I think it was zero last month. I think it's zero last month. Negative. Close enough to zero for me. <laughs> Negative is financial. <laughs> okay. Any questions Negative. about that? Let's move on to our COO report. Yes, sir. Thank you. I will. I will certainly go through. Uh, this slide is relatively quickly. I just want to highlight several key points. I know that it's been part of your package, and you guys are, I'm hoping, 
comfortable with the format and familiar with you know, the content, but I want to highlight several things. Certainly just to not repeat, but compliment what Ann said. She had obviously a very comprehensive report. Uh, she's awesome. We have uh, great synergies here. But in, in population health, what I wanted to share is, uh, you know, this has been an area largely driven in what the, the, the greatest expense category in population health is care management. And so one of the areas, uh, one of the things that we've been very challenged with over the last year is uh, recruitment of critical uh, leadership positions within that, uh, that department. And so I'm very pleased to say that we've hired, uh, we've made some, some very uh, timely recruitments here. We've brought in some people that uh, have, have immediately had a direct impact on, on the operations out at Sandwich and Dorn as we're looking at all of our sites. So again, very critical roles. And so, you know, doing so has allowed us to move away from contract management. And so therefore, uh, we're starting to see some improvements there. Uh, and, uh, you know, provider delivery, we continue to see improvements here. What I would qualify here is the fact that you know, we have our budget, we have our performance, we have our pre previous year. Uh, this is this is an area where we've continued year over year to get better and better at data capture and establishing true baselines. So, you know, this was something that we didn't didn't exist, you know, going three years ago. So, so we're we're really getting ourselves uh, more aligned and getting better and better data capture as we move forward. Uh, in ambulatory, as as Ann mentioned, I do want to share that uh, although. You know, we are outperforming previous year. That's only in primary care. Uh, so we do have and continue to have some struggles in specialty uh, care. Some of it is driven by uh, recruitments and, and the challenge in bringing in some of these specialties. I know that Dr. Jamadi uh, is working very closely with the team to look at uh, alternative coverage methods, working with other partners to see how we can bring in some of these providers and continue to provide those services. But again, primary care performing well compared to last year, but certainly coming up short from our current target. Uh, and their financials, what I wanted to highlight is, you know, when you see this and you look at the, the ratios, uh, you know, you see that in the FDEs towards the center of the table. There are 53 FDEs to the positive, but yet salaries are over budget. And so that was driven by a contractual uh, adjustment that was made, a retro payment that was made based on negotiated contracts that were completed uh, for our UAPD providers. Uh, so that contributed significantly to that, uh, but equally some of the, um, you know, efforts to manage uh, the, the templates and, you know, managing the staffing in those areas. So when we look at that, uh, obviously because of the volumes, uh, you see the, the ratios that are certainly not as favorable. In the acute care, what I wanted to highlight is uh, towards uh, the center, uh, as you can see, uh, and, and you guys were right on it, which is awesome, is the fact that length of stay does have a, you know, have a direct impact. And so the length of stay is largely impacted, as you can see, by Highland in this breakdown. So Highland is at a 7.3 versus 5.3, which is two days over budget. So that's pretty significant. Uh, and when you're looking at measuring length of stay, every tenth of a day is, is significant. So when you got two full days, that's a lot. And so we're looking at managing that. There's a tremendous amount of work and great efforts going through uh, this entire process and looking at how we can improve our throughput challenge. Actually, can you quantify that? Can I quantify? So it's two days longer than it should be, so to speak, times how many heads? to the whole system, what's that cost? 
again, it's what we're looking at. Uh, so your patient days would then be impacted, would be slightly lower, right? And so it all comes down to it. I mean, there's many variables. There's no short answer for that. I, 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 I couldn't. I think uh, I knew that one last. I couldn't break that down, but there, there's many components that play a part in that. And as we've said before, and as we've discussed, some of that could be uh, result of, as Ann mentioned, result of denied days or avoidable days. But some of it also could be increased acuity. And so that's why I wanted to point this next right. to down below that we have our case mix. And when you look at the case mix, we're at 1.52 versus a budget of 1.43. So again, that, that means that there is some uh, indication that we're seeing slightly sicker patients as compared to what we were experiencing. So multiple factors that, that um, impact that, but yes, we could do that calculation. We could look at that, and and that's a, a, a national benchmark and you know, it's a common point to look at length of stay and what the cost of length of stay is. So we could do that. I just can't answer it right now. No, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yes, sir. I just, I don't need the answer right now, but it does, like the more we can quantify sim more simple numbers, it, it, albeit estimates, because there's a lot of variables, uh, it just helps us understand, you know, because this is a throughput issue, potentially. Yes, part of it. Part of it. Not completely, but part of it. And so uh, it's, it's, it's the, the, the acuity of the patient. That's part of it. Uh, right. I, I mean, you can't necessarily you know, quantify that, but you could compare us to other systems that serve a similar population, and are they also at 5.3 or are they at 6.3? Is that what percent is acuity based on national standards? Right. That would be great to know, and then what's that total when you look at our total beds? Okay. Well, I, I think those are all very valid questions, so I'll certainly take that back and we'll, we'll provide you that info. We want to be make sure we have fidelity to our information and our numbers. Uh, so again, highlighting, I wanted to highlight really truly the length of stay, uh, highlight the uh, case mix index, and then just a couple of points there where we're seeing our emergency visits continue, uh, the same pattern of same trends that we've seen um, uh, at, uh, at our facilities, again, largely driven by, by Highland. Uh, and then also our deliveries were significantly lower. Uh, that, that's, you know, that's a large number there for us as far as 80 versus a budget of 107. So we're really looking at all those areas and how we're managing uh, our, our resources accordingly. That said, uh, although you see here um, our, our expenses, although salaries and wages were above budget, it is supported by the fact that we had a significant increase in patient days. So, you know, they, these things kind of all come together. And some of that is, is justified, right, because we are seeing sicker patients. We have more activity in the hospital. We have more patients in beds and more days. But again, equally, there's the downside of that is, well, if those patients shouldn't really be here, then would we have had those expenses? But when you look at our productivity, managing just globally, managing the operations, recognizing some of these other challenges, the staff is doing really well. Uh, our FPs for just occupied bed, 5.02 versus a budget of 5.36, and our expenses for just a patient day, certainly below budget by $71. So again, I, that, I look at that very closely because I know that we're addressing the other issues, but if we're not addressing those issues, if we're not addressing those issues and also not managing our resources appropriately, then we have double whammy. And so this is kudos to the staff, really, and the expense management that Anne is indicating. Um, in behavioral health, uh, what I wanted to point to you all is, again, also the average length of stay in behavioral health, as we've had a lot of conversations at Q uh, QPSC and other meetings. 
it's we're seeing a, a, a higher acuity at John George, and so you know those patients are requiring more attention. As a result, we're also seeing an increase in an influx of patients coming into the PES. So several things happening here. Our patient days are obviously slightly below budget, you know, by six, but I mean slightly below budget. Again, impacted by the length of stay of what's happening out there with our patients. But when you look at the emergency visits, we're down by 100 foot a month. Um, that is largely driven by the fact that this particular month in March, we had a higher number of census holds due to influx of patients coming into the PES. And if you recall, we instituted several years ago a census management policy where, again, that took various factors into consideration, acuity, staffing, uh, you know, the, 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 the census, the number, the count, uh, you know, many various factors to, to then make a decision, an informed decision that's only made by the administrator and the physician, the medical physician to determine you know what, it's not safe for us to get any more patients. And so we go on census hold, we divert patients, they get basically uh, held back at the EDs, and then we then recover from that as we start managing the situation. So because we had a higher number of those census holds, we see a decline in uh, our visits in the ED. So that's the impact there. So that's what we're seeing now, how we're managing that. Uh, equally, when you look at salaries and wages, over by 827, thousand. Uh, so what we're looking at here is is uh, the fact that they're managing those patients. Now, when we look at the ratio here, I look at the FDs for just like five bed. They're slightly above budget, uh, below budget. I mean, they're they're still managing within reason. But equally here, uh, when you look at the expense for just like five bed, what's happening is. Uh, there's significant amount of overtime as we're managing some of these patients, but also the overtime is driven in this facility by those one-to-ones that are required as a result of the acuity. So when you're managing a very complex and difficult population, you then have to increase the number of one-to-ones, and that then drives up your cost. So although from a productivity perspective you're managing it, but the expense is impacted by that. So I wanted to just share with you the distinction and kind of why that's happening and how we dive into all these. We do this every month. We look at it very, very closely. Uh, Post-acute, uh, strong performance, um, and, and then the rest, I think, is, is, is I have really nothing to highlight. Uh, support services, which is all other areas, as you can see, everything is favorable. That's what we want to see. We want to make sure that we're managing our expenses in those support areas, administrative areas, making sure that we're providing the resources to our clinical areas. So great work by the team. Any questions? Questions? You know, in terms of throughput, I wonder if it might be helpful for those of us who don't live this day to day to to actually get a couple scenarios provided to us. Um, an example of high acuity. What's that look like? Is this someone coming by off the street? Is this you know what what some stories of actual patients and why you're seeing. Uh, longer stays in those patients. Give us a texture of feeling of what's going on. That, that would be great. So in fact, I want to I wanna highlight, and, and uh, I know that, that Dr. Jamadi can give you a We have, I was sitting listening in the back. We have, for example, a patient who is an inmate of uh, Santa Rita jail. Mm -hmm. 
uh, he has uh, he, he's a young man uh, and he has uh, a problem gastrointestinal problem that we try to uh, use a tube to feed him he put it out it's scarred we cannot use a tube he is on total parental nutrition he gets his uh, he lives on total parental nutrition which is a line that gives him all the feed right. he cannot go back to jail right and we're trying to negotiate with the jail to see the medical director. We don't have, they don't have the skills, they don't have facilities, facilities yeah. to do this. So that's, that's an example. So which one? And he's, he's, uh, he's here. We, we have uh, uh, a patient who uh, was homeless, who's on dialysis, and uh, he uh, is, uh, uh, he insults the staff. He, uh, uh, he has decision-making capacity. He pulls his uh, line for dialysis. We put it back. Uh, there is no dialysis uh, uh, place to take him because he has insulted, assaulted staff. Uh, I, I went to see him in, in the room, and he insulted me. He asked me to leave the room. I told him he doesn't have the right to ask me to leave the room. I'm here to help him. Uh, and we, you know, we are finding lots of challenges uh, we, uh, with, with, uh, with that. This is just like examples of scenarios. Uh, we have uh, uh, patients who uh, are on... Uh, we need uh, durable medical equipment like uh, venti uh, not ventilator inside. Ventilator is easy to plug. They need portable oxygens, and we have to find shelters. That, uh, so it's it's all these like clinical scenarios that we are we are seeing more and more of with multiple medical problems. Uh, they need uh, they need uh, uh, like support, uh, and we, we, we try to to uh, to provide the support as much as we can, even like I spoke to the dialysis medical director, I said we will send with the patient, because we found a place for a patient to go, to stay in, negotiate a place. Uh, he said, he assaults. I said, we will send a one-on-one from our system to accompany him and stay with him during dialysis. And, and after they accepted this, uh, again, we said this, they said, well, you know, the, the, the physicians here do not feel comfortable. He verbally assaulted the nurses. He can uh, say racial uh, words. So, so these, these are like clear examples. That's very rich. So um, just to clarify, we're at the end of the road for some people. Yes. I mean, when, when we go and uh, people give us like examples about how how they try to improve their, their throughput, uh, one, our chief hospitalist told them, and this is a hospitalist group, another system, he told them, well, uh, the only difference, we, 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 we do not have a high end to refer to. In terms Thank of you. trying to get an understanding, though, of why it's increasing, I mean, do we, in, in terms of just the bigger con mm -hmm. context, right, our capacity has not decreased. So, so when we moved to the acute care power in 2016, we have decreased a little bit our capacity. I can't recall by how many beds. Uh, I don't. I don't. Yeah, but we, we have uh, we have decreased a little bit our capacity. 
Sorry, I'm John George. So I would, I would say, uh, so yeah, so in that, uh, in that note, on that note, I want to just recap what Marvin's saying. So one of the things that we have planned, as we mentioned earlier, is that QPSC will be providing a you know, care management uh, presentation that will get into this and will provide some clear examples of what's driving some of these challenges. Uh, and we had also, I, I think we also have it on the agenda for the full board. Because again, I think it's super important to have everyone here that, that not just QPSC, but also the full board. Yeah. But, uh, for behavioral health, I also have Dr. Tribble to maybe come up and give a few examples, because I, I mean, it's just, this is the inpatient. We also have very similar challenges in the yeah, I just want to clarify one point. Like, if you look at our average length of stay last month, it was like good, better than previous. Right. Now it, it, but it could be two patients who have moved and they've been here for months. Right. And, and then it affects. So, yeah. so this variation in months to months. Yeah. But you're definitely seeing. So I, I, I think the, you know, the follow up on your question, I, it, there's something going on in our community. Well, we are, well, right? We're not uh, an island here. Right. We, we are experiencing some of the results of uh, people having to live on the streets and make their, not having their basic needs met, right. just generally, and then we end up uh, having to provide the medical care when they're desperate. So there's a, there's a consequence to uh, being in a community like this. Uh, absolutely. I remember mean, even um, in New York City, we were seven, eight years ago, we were looking at uh, what's going to happen to the baby boomers uh, who are going to be socially underserved, and 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 now uh, now also our average, uh, you know, uh, like we are keeping people alive with a lot of medications, like you know, like people with cancer live longer. Uh, people with diabetes live longer, and we have to provide care for them, uh, whether it is in a SNF facility or whether it is in a assisted living situation. So, uh, so that's that's what we are experiencing. But when they sense become homeless, it becomes very challenging. And the average age of homeless person in our community is uh, 20 years older than it was right. two decades ago. Mm -hmm. That's sort of a big change. The other thing I'm curious about is you mentioned about um, the inmates that we serve, and so I don't know what. What num kind of numbers we're talking about? But certainly, from uh, we we, uh, we, we have contracts with the, with the jail services, and we have instituted uh, a quarterly meeting right now to have better communication and so on. But they are not like a very large number. This this is like a, just like a half case. Usually, they, we collaborate uh, tremendously and try to serve them in ambulatory care setting or special care setting. So I, I communicate with the medical director. Uh, yes, so I'll start backwards. I, there was a few questions you had. I think on the behavioral health side, about 25% of the patients, minimally on the inpatient unit, are, are forensic. And so what that means is literally that they have the sheriff deputies there, camping them, and literally on a jail hold. We've also seen the questions you asked about what we're seeing in the community. We're seeing an increase in individuals that are transitional age youth that are committing even more serious uh, activity and or have aged out of the uh, foster care system. So those transitional age youth, although they're being incarcerated at our uh, juvenile detention center, they are also coming in 
with uh, juvenile, juvenile um, um, deputies, essentially. Um, the other piece that is really, uh, really complicated in terms of acuity is we're finding, um, as, as folks know, you asked the question about what's going to the community, uh, about three or four years ago, the decrease in regional centers, and I think I've mentioned this in other presentations. So with the regional center decreasing, and the less resources to patients who are autistic, who are developmentally delayed, even if it's mild or moderate, we used to have subsidies to pay for housing, they used to have housing, residential, that kind. So if the person has a behavioral episode, we have, God forbid, a comorbid medicaid, a medical or mental health issue, and the board care theoretically can say, well, we're not able to take that person back. So we're getting more acute patients, and because they're not really able to be stabilized, and it's developmentally, it's critically important to have a routine, and so any individual who's cycling in and out just by virtue of not having stability becomes it more acute. Um, and, the, and the third factor we're finding is that, um, as, as you know, if you have mental health illness, that really takes about 20 years of your life. And so there's a lot of individuals with mental health illness are aging out, our baby boomers are becoming older, so folks who had COPD and others, we literally, our nurses are having to get retrained in uh, monitoring O2 saturation, and everything else, they may have um, oxygen, and it's a very hard uh, fine line between um, uh, medically stabilizing, which they, in a, in a perfect scenario, come in pr pretty medically stable, but some just have chronic medical issues. So the acuity, the one-to-one, -one are based on behaviors as well, and again, with the tape population, quite frankly, we're seeing an increase in um, uh, uh, sexually uh, provocative behaviors. And so it's just a, a lot of different age ranges together. Uh, you know, I'd just like to know, uh, <coughs> some of it has to do with decisions that were made years ago. Yes, so that's a good comment. North County Jail used to have the uh, medical unit on psychiatric county. And, uh, and at that time, uh, John George didn't have any friends with that. Correct. So you take that 25% of your population, and you can imagine that the impact of that. It has been transferred. Absolutely. And the one thing I, I'll, I'll clarify, which also makes them more acute, is what folks don't understand is that Santa Rita Jail, they cannot forcibly administer medications in the jail. Although County Behavioral Health provides psychiatry, mental health, and behavioral health services, if the inmate refuses to take the antipsychotic medication, they cannot be. So what often happens is Santa Rita and other law enforcement agencies, either pre-adjudication, pre-booking, or post-booking will take them to John George, hoping they can be medically stable. So again, you have behaviorally acute, so it's very, uh, safety is a, is a critical issue besides all the acuity. Now just, just my own curiosity, then do you have to go through a rescue for this? We do, correct. Uh, the only way, obviously, if there's an uh, emergent internal support. So, so um, there's, uh, you can hold people against the will. Okay, that's one set of arms. And then if you want to force them to take medications, then you have to go through another set of uh, criteria. Correct, correct. Mm -hmm. And then the only provides, or again, if it's an emergency situation, you can administer emergency medications. Right. Well, we could probably go on for another couple of hours. I, I really appreciate uh, the staff reports to give us a little more color on this. The point I wanted to make as the chair of the Finance Committee is that throughput is not just a Alameda health system problem. It is a community problem. Yeah. Um, it is going in, you know, quite frankly, it's a community service provider. Um, okay. The doctor here, uh, it's going to get worse. So we, we need to be thinking about this uh, in terms of where the, the impacts on this system 
uh, of poor discharge uh, of people from, from other systems. So I'm going to move us on to uh, much more to be said about this, I'm sure. I'm going to move us on to the uh, most exciting part of our agenda, the, the budget. <laughs> I'll do that for you. It, it, preparation. It is. It is exciting. <laughs> and and uh, I, you know, I, I say this on multiple settings, multiple meetings, and you know, keep guessing others. But I, I really, really can't say enough about our, our providers, our staff, our nurses. I mean, this is Nurses Week, uh, and we're celebrating them for the great work they do. But again, just all these challenges and all these issues that we deal with on a daily basis, and our our, our staff and our team at John George under the leadership of Dr. Tribble. I mean, it, it's just, it is such a very difficult, unique, and challenging environment that I just can't say enough on how amazing they are. So that's an emotion. All in favor. Yes. Uh, so FY20 budget update. So we wanted to go ahead and, I know that we just recently met uh, at our retreat where we had very robust discussion. and. And uh, I want to thank all of you. Uh, you know, on behalf of the executive team, we received great uh, feedback and, and some clarity and some direction on how we wanted to continue to approach this process, recognizing the challenges that are before us. And so one of the things that I wanted to do in this first slide was just essentially to uh, recap. And, and by the way, uh, I, I made some updates um, uh, to the presentation that's on your packet due to the fact that you know we had our retreat and then we had to post for this meeting like a few days later. So um, it didn't have a whole lot of time to, but we, the work is ongoing. And so I wanted to provide you with a much more current update of what we've done. Uh, I look up, not down. Yes, sir. Okay. Thanks. That's available publicly. This is, I'm not sure. it will be, I, I've shared it with Rob, uh, and it will be, it will be. It's just not in your order. My apologies for that. No um, so I wanted to just recap uh, exactly of, of where we're at in the retreat. We presented a budget that was at a negative 5.3% EBITDA margin, which was about 64 million dollars. Uh, and so to, from, from the target, so as compared to the target that we had established, which was 1.47. Well, in our retreat, you provided us great clarity and you said that, well, the board's position on this is that we really need to be between 1.47 and 2.8. We need to find something in there. And so we're working to achieve that. We're working to do that. And there are several things that we'll present that uh, will help support some of that effort. Uh, but what I would want to clarify, and I want to make sure that it's clear, is that even with us achieving a 1.47 or even a 2.8, it doesn't address our issues relative to the permanent agreement and the net negative balance. Right. So that right. issue still exists. Right. So I want to make sure that that's, that's very clear. Chris, we got it. Thank you, sir. So uh, again, our gap, $64 million to get to that 1.47, and then you endorsed the following principles, which were those that we discussed and we had, uh, I think, a great time going through the Kahoot process to, to get some, some uh, direction. So I think this was uh, a great exercise. Based on that, uh, we've taken some of those items that then in the exercise that we did at the retreat, we prioritized several items. This is a list of some of those items based on, uh, and, uh, on the priorities and the higher priority items that we've put in place and we've continued to work on finalizing the numbers. And so this is just to give you a sense of where we're at so far. This is just a piece of, of the number, but just to kind of give you a sense of where we're at. So here is just a breakdown of the work that's ongoing. 
one I want to highlight, as in the previous slide, you see that um, the recommendation to proceed with a wage freeze, uh, there, there is a cohort of staff, a subset. Yeah, yeah. You need to make it very clear which staff this would apply to. Yes. So we're, we're looking at it now because yes. we already had a conversation with the supervisor who was confused about. Yes. So, so, what, I, so what, what I will be sharing with you here, and, and thank you, sir, that, that's very good. So what, when, when we're talking about the wage freeze, uh, this is what we're looking at, and this is again, this is an exercise, as I and I, as I will show, share in, in future slides. All the work that we're doing was what we gathered from you all at, at the retreat and the direction that we received. We're going back and we're doing our research, our vetting, our looking at evaluating. Our, our plan is to bring this information back and all these various options with greater detail to then help inform a decision and a path forward because none of these things have been incorporated into our budget yet. Right. So those are so when I, and I'll show you when I see that in the future slide here. Yes, ma'am. One, one thing that you know that I'm gonna mention that during the retreat too, but as you're letting all of that, like are there any but impact assessment, like the equity impact assessment, the serious tools that, that are used to see, like if we do this kind of wage freeze, how many, you know, what level, how many, you know, splice and that's that to see what A, what other folks who will be affected, women, minority people, under a certain uh, income level already, like as much as possible we are trying to see that the burden of this is taken by folks who can afford it, um, at least to that extent, um, you know, proportionately to do that, so are there any of those? No. Um, no? No. As you look at it right now, there are two groups, the unrepresented group, um, if you look above my head, and ACNIA. ACNIA is up there because we're about to enter a salary them in June. So, so all in the purview of the contractual. Correct. Everyone that's contractually covered um, is paid based on step and grade. Yes. And so yes. proportionately, they would be receiving the pay and impacted proportionally. There's unlikely to be any right. rights to uh, gender ethnicity within those groups because of the nature of the contract. Of course. So there is not a more detailed analysis in terms of the impact on those people other than we'd be looking at those individual contracts. Uh, the vast majority of employees in healthcare generally in an inpatient environment are, are female, and so there's going to be a disproportionate impact on female employees because the larger proportion of employees are female. Um, as to the impact on people by ethnicity, we could, we could, there are ways for us to do that. Uh, by looking at our overall population and breaking that down by uh, bargaining unit that could be potentially impacted. Yeah, I meant the exempt, I meant the, you know, the, the furloughs and things that you guys were talking about among the executive membership team or some of these others. So there were like fiscal um, impacts of doing it for this group, fiscal impacts of doing it for that group, and you brought that down to us. And I remember why in that, in that table that we were voting on, there were all of these, like this one has like saves four million, and this one saves yes. oh, just like short tables over here. Right? So, let me, so let me try and explain maybe what I tried to do here and see if it captures, because I, so, so to you know, so kind of piggybacking on Tony's point, I mean, essentially what we tried to do here, or attempt in this table here, is to demonstrate that we have various categories of groups, looking at it globally, not not getting 
to that level of detail as, as far as some of the demographic you know, criteria, but looking at it from, so we have a subset of our, of our entire workforce that is unrepresented. Yeah. And so we wanted to capture those. We have then those that are represented. And so at now we are already in discussions, and, and, and uh, as Tony mentioned, there is a salary reopener that's going to be happening here very soon, and so we're going to be working through that, so that's what we've identified. Then we have two other categories, essentially. They're large buckets, but there are two other categories which include various uh, labor unions. And so we want to say there's current con current contracts that are open as we speak, so there's, we're in active negotiations with some contracts. That if we were to look at this, this would be something that we can introduce and have conversations about. Or contracts that will be opening in fiscal year 20. That then as part of the negotiating discussions, we'll have this type of conversation. The second uh, bucket of that is contracts that, would, that, are, that are in place currently, that are not expected to go into renegotiations that are, you know, for a period of time, that we then would have to engage in a contract reopener to have that conversation, to engage in the discussion to say this is what we're looking at and then go through that process of how we would make that happen. So that's how this was broken down, uh, considering and recognizing the various groups uh, of, of, of that comprise our entire staff. And so they fall, every one of them, all 4,600 FDEs, uh, and, and, and certainly larger headcount, fall into one of those four categories. So, so if I could make a, a suggestion to try to get at what you're, I think you're asking for. I, I, I think, I think the, the board of trustees would appreciate information related to lower paid classification of employees, those who in the Bay Area are struggling uh, in an extremely uh, difficult housing market and cost of living situation. Sure. An example would be uh, folks who work in uh, lower skilled Jobs, entry level or entry level So, and not so much. I, this part I think would be just good to get a sense mm -hmm. of when you're talking about Acme, for example, are any of those yeah. positions in that? So, by and large, the group that you look at, we can provide this detail. Most of those entry level roles, I think, across clinical and non clinical capacities are represented roles. So what we're talking about here, when we say unrepresented, for the most part, that's managerial and executive level roles, some admin roles, I think, and maybe a few others that we could, we could quantify. We, could, we, could, we can put under like a little bit more context there for you to show you who we're talking about. But it starts with me on down. That's in that un unrepresented group. And then Acmea is mostly the middle management group of uh, uh, our workforce. And then we have all the labor unions that represent clinical, nursing, uh, housekeeping, food services, those groups. So, so those, those workers aren't really in this group. Uh, they are represented by someone, but there are some admin roles, I believe, and there may be a few other roles that are in under. There's some unrepresented, significant number of unrepresented roles at Alameda and San Leandro hospitals that are captured here. So, uh, roles? Some technical, some entry level, because it's a mix. Uh, it's, it's a broad mix of employees who were not represented when we acquired those facilities and then later didn't go into one of the existing unions. So it's not a bi-level, you can't just cut it off bi-level and say mid-level manager. At, at, in the core, ACNIA represents managers um, up to the level of directors, not include directors. 
in those in the Alameda and San Leandro facilities, none of the managerial positions are represented. Right. And so I appear at this hospital would be an ACME or as a nurse manager, but San Leandro they would not. But as a group in Tony, uh, at Alameda and San Leandro, the, the, let's, let's take big classes of employees, housekeepers, are they represented? UHW represents. Okay. Are food service workers uh, represented at Alameda and San Leandro? Yes. Okay. So as a big group, about 408, how many of those would you say across the system are in entry-level types of roles? I wouldn't want to guess. I can get the number, but I don't, I don't want to guess. I'm but if you were to would you say it's, it's, it's 20%? Yeah, I, I mean, again, I, I want to be accurate because I've got various numbers running around in my head from the various contracts. So yeah, it, no, it's, it's, it's a relatively low number of lines. It's not the lion's share of this group. Correct. Okay. Now, is there a reason why we would have to take an entire category to apply to? So in other words, could we say... Unrepresented employees, but only those, but but exempt those who make under. You could, taxes. you could, you could, you could, uh, uh, give, you could, you would pay my budget. Right. Okay. So you could say we're putting before you gradations of uh, sort of uh, 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 relative ease in implementing, and you could say. Well, I have, well, we have, you know, greater control in implementing it with this group, and we can do it with this group. I want to exclude these these individuals, and then we adjust it otherwise. Like cost-wise, you take that group out, and you say, well, that sets it out, and then the rest of it is there. There's nothing that would preclude us from doing taking this and slicing it in different ways. Obviously, when you get into the labor side of it, that's a little bit more difficult because it's not, not a civil decision. I want to be respectful of how hard this process is going to be for staff and. What I, just to be clear, what I would ask for is information. Yeah. And then we can make those sorts of decisions yeah. that I, I, I'm supportive of. But I'm just concerned, remember, we have 18, we have 18 million units. We have slice it and dice it every way you can imagine this system. We're, uh, you know, so we need to get to the task of figuring out how we're going to have a balanced budget. And then in that process, later on, as we accumulate this information, if we have some basis for, for example, making a decision to have a threshold uh, where impacts happen and uh, above the threshold and they don't happen below the threshold, then we would do it at that time. I would caution my fellow trustees against trying to uh, impose that sort of uh, expectation at this point in the process. We've really got, we got to find, uh, quite frankly, in my mind, the number is about $80 million. Because I am completely uncomfortable with the 1.47 EBITDA. Uh, so if it's 80, for me at least, it's $80 million. And I started, I got depressed when I started looking at your initial reports. These are not big dollars. Nope. Mm -hmm. We're chipping away. It's going to take a lot. So if we chip away at the chip away, it's going to take That's my little lecture. We appreciate your lecture. Uh, um, and not the, the, we appreciate all comments, I would say, because the value, and this is why I say this is a value you're exposing and one that we understand and, uh, and certainly are sympathetic to. Um, I agree with your point, but the, the, the challenge for us will be what, what we're talking about here, which means more as a value than it does mean as a value in the dollar sign. Uh, um, uh, we still, uh, as you astutely pointed out, are long where they, even with what we have here in, in closing the gap that we're talking about.
I'm curious about the TVDs <laughs> because that's where you know I don't know what um, we're we showing you the format that we're going to continue to refine and bring you information. Yeah. So it was just that at this point, uh, there's deeper analysis that is occurring uh, that continues, and so it wasn't ready to put in any sort of uh, even a, 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 what's called a slag, a wild guess, yeah. that we would feel comfortable with you relying on at this point. But we're going to keep this going, and we'll try, our goal is to have it done you know, the next time we talk about this. Is it, uh, will there be more? Updates between now and the full board meeting? Uh, we will continue to do work, and yes, if we work at stopping points where we feel we have comfortable numbers, that's our goal, that we will do it. Like, uh, so it's a, you make an agenda item on the board meeting, we'll take what, obviously, you'll do the finance committee update, and then uh, we can append that with what the, what the latest numbers are. So it ends up in the packet. Right. Which we so, uh, probably can see. Right, right. And again, I think that this, you know, this is, uh, I think our goal at, at this point was to give you a sense of the direction that we're going in based on what we heard at our retreat uh, and recognizing that a lot of this takes time to, to, to really vet and go through and, 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 and dissect. And so uh, all those draft TVDs is work that's ongoing. I just didn't have information by, you know, by, by the meeting to, to present it. So but, but it's, it's work that's ongoing. It's not a criticism, by the way. Sure. No, no, sure. 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 It's, it's just like a, as it's determined and not to be determined, if we can add it in to so sure. keep this conversation oh, happening. Right. Yeah, it's like, it's like, so each time you get it, so that I don't want to wait until the Finance Committee a month from now. I want to see more I think that's two weeks. Right. Yes. And we want to be able to give more to, to the Board of Supervisors and give them a clear idea of what we're seeing. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, not just yeah, all great, the stakeholders, really. Great and, and, and yeah. Yeah. the uh, stakeholders who are potentially impacted may have some feedback for us as well as uh, the elected officials of Alameda County. And we're, 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 I think we're on the same page, so we appreciate that feedback. Uh, what I will say is, and this is uh, coming back to the team, uh, um, all of these, all of this analysis involves like coming up with some set of assumptions to then drive to the impact, and we try to balance competing ideas around um, uh, the relative degree of accuracy we can have around uh, projecting behavior once these things occur. Right? This is an academic exercise, and we say we'll do this, and you know we'll save this much, but if saving doing this then triggers some other activity like. You know, people choosing to leave, and then there are labor recruitment costs going up, or people, you know, uh, we squeeze it over here, and something happens on the other side. Got it. We just want to be clear with you, obviously, that this is our best estimate based off of the assumption, reasonable assumptions we're making uh, to then drive to a dollar figure we can share with you, and we try to do that with some degree of fidelity. So, in the interest of time. This is, let's take this as the template that it is. Mm -hmm. um, is there any feedback, further feedback, as we've given some already, <laughs> about what you'd like from your staff? Well, I think understanding those salary ranges that we're talking about and having an opportunity to just set that threshold that below a certain salary, you know, if everybody is high, then this is not an issue. But if there indeed are some people that are in a lower salary range, they're going to have very minimal impact on this number anyway. Um, and I think it protects I and mean, to, you know, that's a correct point. Can I just clarification? You mean that solely for the unrepresented, correct? Because once yes. we get into the represented, well, just what, what, represented. what you're actually going to see is Acme, a nurse manager, for example, at maybe 180, 190,000 versus 
an unrepresented accounting manager making eighty or ninety thousand dollars potentially. So there are going to be people in the unrepresented making significantly less than those in ACMIA. And so we need to think about exactly what it is you want to see so we can work out how to provide that because ACME is on there because we're going to go into a reopen and we have other contracts that are going to open. The question is, as we do we take a single approach to the unrepresented project just because we can legally? Or then do you apply that same approach as you go into collective bargaining agreements with an assumption that the vast majority of our labor costs are in represented jobs? And if you take a small group, the 400 plus, even if they're, uh, some of them are higher paid, some of them are lesser paid, that's not going to close your gap. The vast majority of our increases next year from a projection standpoint are actually representative. So we have to think about how you want to apply that approach so that we can get you the data you want to see and make sure we provide you everything that would be useful. I think we'll take a, we can take a look uh, estimate on, on this part and just look at living wage and... I was going to say, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 the caution I have there is when you look at the second level of cuts where you're talking about, you know, potentially one, one day a month, you know, that's 4.5%, 4.6% of the salary. And if we talk about a day, the day pay period, we're talking about 10% of their salary. So if we go back and we say there's, there's going to be a, a minimum of a living wage, we have to look at the people that are right above that and make sure when we, if we went forward with these other things, they don't end up even lower than those. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's Thank you, Louise. Um, so this is really, again, uh, we are, what I'm sharing here is a work in progress. 
Um, there is a lot of analysis that has been done. If you recall, uh, trustees, uh, I believe we have um, uh, presented the contribution margin work uh, a few months ago, and then also last year we have uh, showed you taking a specific program with you and showing you the approach that we used. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of uh, the same approach, and we're refining our skills as we speak in developing a thorough methodology. So what we've done is that, uh, you know, we, uh, as before, we took industry standard groupings that define services to get us looking at the entire house. This analysis does not include SNF because we did not have uh, the data to back us up there. So we're looking at the rest of the house. And um, so it's inpatient, outpatient. Um, and it, we took nine months of data because uh, the way it builds into our uh, cost accounting system, that was the best set of data to get us the actual revenue calculations as well. Um, and then I also noted that we have uh, improved our skill sets and also allocating in this analysis supplemental funding so you can see the entire picture. So when you look at inpatient services, this is just a picture to share with you. Um, um, and uh, all we've done here is show you the programs or services that are contributing the most losses. Um, and the way the calculations are done is over the nine-month period, the first column that says cases, actually the second column, are really the discharges. And when you look at the first row, psych, 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 psychiatry, what that means is it's just a definition based on the ICD uh, diagnoses uh, codes for those discharges. And primarily, these are at John George. So those are what, what, what this, this is speaking to. Um, the total contribution is a calculation. So the first um, step in the calculation is looking to say, for those discharges, what is the expected revenue? And it's based on a pair mix schedule, which is either per diem or percent of charges or whatever the case might be. Uh, we, we use that calculation. Um, and then we also look at actually what were the gross charges based on our um, uh, what, we, what we charged. Then we look at our NPSR, which we actually collected for that time period. Then we look at what is the lump sum allocation based on the pyramids that's unique to that particular service. So then you have your total revenue picture for the nine-month period. On the cost side, we look at direct cost, which is basically attributed at a, it's allocated at a patient level. So we have to capture level one equal value. Trying to capture level one equal value. What is specific to that program? So those are without costs, um, and it includes both, uh, you know, fixed and variable uh, to the program. Um, and so the, uh, and then we also look at the um, and then finally we look to see what the overhead is. And we apply all that, and then when we subtract the revenues, uh, the expenses from the revenues for that particular service, you get the total contribution. Uh, and that's what's listed here. We have not captured every inpatient service here. This was just an attempt to capture what were the top services in terms of their contribution margin losses on the inpatient side. And if you move to the next slide, you'll see the same analysis applied now on the outpatient setting. In the outpatient setting, we are looking at visit counts. And these are across the board. They're at John George, that's our PES service. They're across our clinics. 
uh, and they're captured by the location. The first uh, set of num uh, the, uh, letters that you see is a location of where the services are provided. And the same methodology is applied there to show uh, you for a nine-month period a total of what the contribution margin losses are. We had to start somewhere. So this was the financial picture or the financial sort of sorting process we used. Um, and uh, you know, we assumed the met this methodology. Do you have the right for the power um, we wanted an objective financial picture for us to say what are the services we need to do a deeper dive into, which leads us to the next slide. That was the list that you saw. What we are doing now is we've developed a pretty extensive timetable. And we are looking on the first a criteria. We want to use the financial prioritization to then guide us and really look at a different set of criteria and apply that to the specific program. So we're doing several things. One is we're doing a more current financial analysis into those programs because it's impossible for us to do each one. Uh, it will take us years to get there with, uh, uh, you know, in terms of timing, and we're trying to uh, do this in a timely fashion. Uh, so, um, and we're finding opportunities. If we find opportunities either on the revenue side, uh, that is, uh, could be affected by improved revenue capture and or looking at the contracts um, and or what we expect to collect or we didn't collect, any of those factors, um, then there's an opportunity there that could be affected by an operational improvement. Similarly, on the cost side. So we're doing that thorough analysis for the programs that we listed um, um, uh, on the inpatient and outpatient side. Um, then we want to also apply, uh, then, you know, we might end up, we are also, it, the other criteria we want to look at is not just the financial picture, but also look at holistically to say, is this program a regulatory requirement uh, that we have to provide? Um, and then are there other community providers for this program or alternate delivery models that we could potentially look at? Um, and then does this program primarily serve the um, uninsured in, 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 our, in our county? Uh, because these are all important uh, evaluation criteria for us to bring to you as we complete this analysis. Um, and, uh, and then really here on you, uh, we're working with the executive team, our clinical and operational leaders to kind of deeper dive into these programs. Um, and we will also complete, you know, have the answers to the questions listed here in the criteria. And we will be bringing that to the finance committee and to the board of trustees for your guidance on then the approach forward um, for the total picture that we hope to present. Um, and that would include financial, but also all these other um, um, criteria as evaluated. Excellent, Ishwar. So, and, and I think just to further add to what Ishwar is saying, I mean, as you look at these, these are somewhat sequential, right? So this is almost like we're, we're, we're looking at creating uh, a process flow map to say, you know, does it, this criteria, yes, no, yes, we go here, no, we, you know, and so we can kind of go through that evaluation process as we're going down the list here with all the programs. So then we can provide you as much information, as much detail, so we can make informed decisions should we decide to move in this direction. I imagine if there's a regulatory requirement or no other community provider that those would get struck from the list rather quickly? Yeah, so first, uh, obviously, we would be the first one to say, irrespective of whether it's regulatory or not, can we, can we change the fiscal uh, performance of the service? And then, yeah, if it's a regulatory requirement, then it's off the list as like something we can do anything about, even if 
we haven't been able to close that gap more, we're just recognizing that that's the reality that we're under. Uh, and then similarly, if there's no other community provider, it's a little bit different because of laws, yeah. Yeah, because the question could be, if there is a, if there isn't one now, is it still that it has to be us, or could there be one stood up that might actually be able, or maybe somebody able, capable of doing this, but if they were given the opportunity to do it, they have different, um, uh, a different reality in terms of their costs or other stuff that may make them better suited to doing something than they are. But if there's not, and that, I guess, then it goes to the, the 17,000 requirement to, to maintain that service and, and well, what would you do? Agency hearings, I mean, you know, um, Yeah, it would be more the, the latter, because um, 17,000 doesn't get into okay. a type of service, it's right. just right. Uh, providing care to, to, so, uh, to the uh, indigent population. So the points would be then, if you didn't do that, or if you stopped doing it all together, and someone else had to do it, that impact is going to be felt somewhere in the delivery system. Okay, so, so this, uh, the next few slides go by very uh, relatively quickly here. So essentially this you've seen before. Yeah, yeah. What I wanted to share here was that uh, this is based on meeting that lower threshold of the EBITDA uh, target. I heard you again today very clearly that that's really just not what we're looking at, this ideally. Is, uh, just one book. But, uh, sure, so, so. Sure, so. <laughs> but the unanimous feedback was at, at least that. It yeah, at least that. Right. And so therefore, we're presenting and continuing to present it in that fashion. And so this is what that map plays out to be. And so we still look at seeing a, a target, uh, a, you know, away from target of about $64 million. So our next steps, uh, as, as you, some of you are aware that uh, we have our follow-up meeting uh, with, our, with the county administration, with our county partners. Uh, we had an initial meeting uh, several weeks back, uh, and we have a follow-up coming up on the 22nd, uh, where we plan to continue to further discuss. Since that initial meeting, I know that there was an, uh, a very detailed information request that was submitted by the county that we've responded to and we've provided all that detail. So again, uh, the hope is that through this meeting we'll have further dialogue and continue to advance the discussion. Uh, internally, we are looking at uh, round two of our budget review process. So as I mentioned to you all before, as part of the budget oversight committee uh, and the budget preparation process every year, we, uh, we send out the information to our department leaders working closely with our finance uh, partners and managers. They put the budget together. We then have a round of reviews and we have discussions to better understand some of their submissions, not only on the expense side, but then also looking at the revenue side and looking at their volumes and validating and making sure that we're all in alignment recognizing historical performance trends, things of that nature. In this particular, you know, this case this year, where we're going back to round two across the house. In years past, we've always had a round two, but it was more targeted in certain areas. This year, we're going to a round two across the entire organization, where we're going to revisit uh, all of our, our submissions, and uh, the information that's being shared with all the department leaders is that as they're going through this uh, further analysis or more detailed analysis, that you know, they need to work on uh, coming up with uh, alternatives or identify options to meet their target. And so that work is ongoing, and we'll be sending out communication to our teams, but the work's already began. Uh, next and after that, sequentially, we'll, we'll, we'll be looking at bringing back 
uh, these options. And as we said, and as I heard today, we're going to continue to have these updates and, and have continued dialogue to make sure that you are all as informed as possible. And then ultimately, we plan to bring forward a, a an updated budget draft to the Finance Committee, which will be more now comprehensive and, and uh, you know, a different from what we've already presented in the past on June 13th. And the last bullet there, I just wanted to capture to make sure that uh, one of the things that uh, Dr. Abuleta brought up at the retreat and, and Delvecchio mentioned earlier, but we're, we're working on defining the framework on, you know, uh, to, to engage in a discussion to further evaluate and discuss the contractuals and what constitutes and what really falls into that, that bucket uh, so we can have a, a greater understanding and we can see what areas we're, we're focusing on and how that's driven. So just wanted to highlight that, that that's a working progress now that uh, I, I will say that, you know, as we shared at the retreat and uh, you know, wanted to capture it to make sure that you all know it's on our radar, it is not something that will happen in the immediate. Uh, our focus right now continues to be all the exercise and the work that we're doing to help finalize a budget and a budget presentation, but it is something that we're also continually working on to make sure that we can get that as soon as possible to, to, the, to the trustees. I think that's the right sequencing that. Uh, questions, comments? Howdy. If, if, if I have some questions, could I talk with the partners? I mean, I'm looking at the site part on the inpatient part, and it's, it's not quite computing for me because there was a change at the state level several years ago when they eliminated the SMEs for site inpatient. And just, you know, I'd like to be able to have dialogue with someone around that. Sure. Well, then, uh, well you. you We've already been interacting. You know, yeah, right. Yeah. There. So, okay, if I can do that. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciated, Ashwari, the, the presentation and the, where the losses are and kind of drilling down deeper. Were we also going to do a deeper dive into the revenue opportunities? I know we had talked about potentially like expansion of SNF and some other um, possible opportunities. That's something we're going to be able to do in light of the budget. Yeah, uh, those, uh, if you recall, those were on our list of uh, mid to long range uh, things, so we, okay. we will. We're not tied into the completing uh, this current budget, but yes. This is what going big says. Thank you. Yeah, yeah we're taking a more conservative approach mm -hmm. with those. Is what, right. But it's not forecasting that there's, there's any foreseeable opportunity in the next fiscal year or any more. Um, uh, Exploration. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, so, just a note, in terms of process, uh, May 22nd seems like the date that sort of sticks out as we're going to have some pretty hard data for the, uh, the county, to share with our county uh, partners. Yeah, so it's just a matter of process, so we, as Louis mentioned, uh, we, um, after a meeting uh, several weeks ago, I uh, got about 26 or so questions, good uh, questions uh, uh, from them, and, and we have responded to that and uh, passed along the underlying data that was requested also as a part of those questions. Uh, and we scheduled this meeting on May 22nd, hopefully with an, uh, an ability to have a sort of a, a more shared understanding of the drivers for the current situation and what the future forecast looks like and what's driving that. Uh, uh, and then to move ideally on to uh, potential solutions uh, in terms of uh, 
uh, and what ways we might collaborate to close this gap and or deal with the, uh, the uh, permanent agreement challenge that, that kind of doesn't drive all of this but becomes the, un the fundamental uh, basis on which we've been historically trying to create a budget that uh, maintains compliance there and knowing that this year Neither one of these targets would do it, but that number uh, actually is probably somewhere close to about 10% EBITDA, and historically uh, that's not been in our history, and there's nothing to suggest the future would have that. So, so what do we do about that short term, and then obviously I probably have a, a longer plan for a longer term discussion about what the future looks like, including the waiver and all the other things. But the board meeting follows right after that, I think, on the 23rd, so we've just begun sort of a verbal update of that discussion. Uh, we, won't, we will not have posted anything by posting that line, and then uh, by finance committee mid-June we'd have that, hopefully whatever comes out of that then folded in with all the other work we're doing to come forward with another status of where we are. Yeah, it's going to be a mad rush there in June, I think. Yes. And we're statutorily required to approve a balanced budget by the end of well, the just month. Yes. Okay. Just in, the in, the in the bylaws, that's correct. Well, it's not just in the bylaws. Uh, statutorily. Statutorial. Uh, so there's no there's so we, we did a little bit of investigation into this. So so uh, in the bylaws there's a requirement for June thirtieth and the uh, I don't know, I mean, CMS, this is the CMS conditions. Yeah, so both of them require that we do have uh, uh, a budget. I'm, I'm going to box the It's to review and update. It doesn't require Correct. approval. Thank you. So, so historically, though, when 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 you do surveys and the surveys come in and if they're checking against this particular standard, they say, "Show me that you have a budget, and that budget is for the year in question or the next three years in terms of a long range sort of deal." If you don't have it, we're looking at the risk for us. So, so I, I think on a late perspective, the answer is yes, we should have a budget if we were surveying. If they were to come in and we were to say, now they say, your language says review and uh, review. We have a review of the budget. We're still discussing. It's not approved yet. Whether that would pass their muster is, I don't think, a proven concept. We don't know that that would happen. Yeah. I don't know if we want to get into No, we don't want to get into that. Yeah, we don't want to be the benchmark case or the one Historically, that's what happens. They say, you know, have you met the standard in general and organization that shows the board approved budget? Okay. Thank you for the clarification. Okay. Again, thank you. A big thank you to staff for all the work that's being done on this. And we have a couple contracts to approve. Uh, I'm reading them, didn't think they were controversial at all. I move for them. I second. All those in favor? Aye. Oh, shoot. I did have a question. Is the, is it, is the super limit in contract, is that, that one that would be capitalized? Uh, yes. Yes, Mark, I discussed this with yes, yes. Thank you. That was my only question. And uh, we've already made some comments about issues for the future. I don't know if there are any other comments related to that. We've got a lot of issues to work on. I don't know if we need to add anything else. So, unless there are any further comments from trustees, I'm going to close the meeting. So done. Thank you.